on the seventh day of Christmas, Moose brings to me Stuntman William R. Perry from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, 4, and 5. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. And today's gift is a gift of stunt work. And who better to talk about stunts and the uh, jobs that go with that than somebody who's worked on franchises such as Nightmare on Elm Street, Monster Squad, The Lost Boys, Star Trek Next Generation, and many, many others. Please welcome Mr. William R. Perry. The crowd roars somewhere. It's good to be here. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm good. So I'm doing my stand up here and there's I can't hear the laugh track. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you get a good laugh for that. This is good. This will be fun. So how's how's life? How's how's everything been going for you? Life is good. Life is good. It's uh uh it's been a lot of fun to sort of rekindle my uh my stunt career stuff in in doing uh things like this where uh People like to you know, talk about, uh, I, I, I used to groan when people would talk about my movie history because I felt like nobody's ever going to remember anything I did. Um, I just did a lot of horror films. And now here we are, you know, 30 years down the line and people are like, no, man, the only thing anybody cares about that you did is your sci-fi stuff and your horror stuff particularly. And the, the horror crowd is so um, passionate about their films you know so when when somebody asks me about uh nightmare on elm street three or four or six or any of these films um they know the details and they want a nugget of something new you know they mm -hmm. want to know so what happened when you know tell me about working with and uh it's funny because I, I really look kind of looked back at like when uh when i got out of the movie business i went into doing web development and i would just when people would find me on imdb i'm like please don't I have credibility issues or enough around here. <laughs> you know, don't tell anybody about my horror films. Uh, but now I find that it's exactly the reverse. Uh, people look at those films so um, passionately and so, you know, they just love them, you know, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, that was just the best movie of all time. It was so much fun. I think, okay, I can put my chin back up i can <laughs> and come you know, out of the shadows can, a little bit <laughs> I, yeah and and i can remember those things and and i did have fun i mean doing stunt work is all the fun you can have with your clothes on i mean it's it's so much fun and uh i remember those times very fondly and i had a great time um but uh like i said i didn't imagine that 30 years down the line they would be of interest to anybody and now that they are and i'm kind of doing the convention circuit now and and meeting people and it's really fun because this these are my homies these are my peeps man this is the time to kind of hang out with people who are like man i love horror films and i don't give a crap who thinks that that's creepy or weird right right rock on <laughs> you know enjoy them and and don't worry about what anybody thinks and you go to these conventions and there's thousands of people and they all feel the same way and you you know you, you can wear your freak flag and just you know, fly it high. Nobody's going to give you any grief at a convention. And uh, uh, I don't have to be embarrassed about my, my, my horror films. I can actually, you know, feel really proud of them and, and give people uh, new information about them that makes the, makes them fun to watch again. Uh, well, and always fun. What, what I've learned in the 
almost five years of doing this is that the you know movie fans are you know there's the the people who really want stories but the horror community especially they don't they will latch on to anybody (laughs) who can tell a story for like they want every possible behind the scenes story they can get and it's it just it fascinates me because I mean it doesn't matter, <laughs> writer, stuntman, camera guy, you know they want people's memories and yeah. it's it's just one of the coolest things I've ever had a chance to sit back and watch is you, you'll see people who are like you know the second camera guy who he's like I was just running a camera you know but has these awesome experience stories from a movie and people are actively engaged in what he's telling them. And he's like, I, I, I can't believe it. It's like, that's <laughs> what they want. They weren't Absolutely. there. They want to live through you. Yeah. I've, I've said before, I don't tell negative stories. Like, you know, if, if somebody was unpleasant to deal with, or if there was, uh, you know, something, salacious or ugly because really in the end um my career is really really fun and it it extended in that i also got to uh, work with wes craven personally for a while i was i became his web developer after i got out of the movie business and so i got to sort of stay connected to the industry and and work with somebody who is legendary and i mean i i don't use that word a lot but truly you know wes is uh, the guy that everybody wants to know about and so people will ask me, the first question is usually, so what was it like? You know, what was Wes like? Um, what was the attitude on the set? What was the, uh, you know, was it fun? Was it boring? Was it this, that? And uh, I'm a guy that likes to tell stories. So this is kind of my world. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, Wes was a great guy. And, and, it, and it's fun to talk about. And, and there are people that were unpleasant, but nobody wants to hear that, really. I mean, you know, if somebody wants to hear you know, mean stories about jerks go someplace else. I, I really, uh, I don't need that. I don't need that kind of negativity. And, and it's so little of it. I wouldn't want to tell one story about it and then have it be one of three that somebody hears. And then they tend to, you know, cling to the negative uh, and think, Oh, that's too bad. And I've, I've had times at uh, conventions where I'll, I'll see people who are not pleasant and don't want to tell their stories and that's kind of what you're there for. You know, it's not just the signature. People would like to hear. I mean, I love telling, if somebody will ask me a very specific story about a very specific moment in a film that I was in, I love telling them that stuff because they'll go back and they'll watch it and they'll go, I talked to the guy. I talked to the guy that did that scene. And and he told me this, you know, and they tell it to their friends and then their friends are like, oh my God, that's so cool. And it just, it increases the enjoyment of a film they've seen, you know, a number of times in many cases. And so they can go back and watch with a new, uh, a new enthusiasm for that little fun thing that happened, and that's great. I love giving those to people. It costs me nothing, you know. <laughs> it costs me nothing to tell somebody, "Hey, yeah, you know, when you're watching Nightmare on Elm Street three, and you see the kid running from the um, from the wheelchair, that's actually me. And if you watch, you'll see my legs doing this weird sort of cadence because I'm trying to avoid a cable that's running right down the middle of my path." And that's what's pulling the wheelchair. And they're like, 
well, I never, you can't see the wires. I'm like, I promise you, look for them and you can't see anything else. And they're like, oh my God, I can't wait to go watch that again. And, and when you do, you see it and it's, it doesn't ruin the movie. I don't think, um, I think it does sort of give you, if you've seen the movie a hundred times, it's not like they're going to, I'm giving away, uh, some, you know, plot line or I'm not, you know, uh, ruining something. You just look for that detail. You know, it's, it's like when somebody will say, Hey, if you watch the wizard of Oz, there's a scene where, um, Dorothy's walking through the, the forest and you can see some stage hand running back behind the scrim. And it's like, yeah, when you see that, it's like, God, I've seen the movie a hundred times. I never noticed that. Yeah. Cause you, you're not paying attention to like the peripheral, uh, yeah. you're at that point, you're paying attention to the wheelchair. You're paying attention yeah. to that direct story. Yeah. yeah. You're not paying attention no. to the, the, the wires and you know, it, it's very much yeah. like the old marionette, I guess not old cause they still do it, but the marionette puppets, you know, yeah. you're not paying attention to the strings yeah. Even though it is clearly a puppet on strings, it, yeah. it is your you're, the performance is engaging enough that the rest of it yeah. isn't an issue. But uh, it's funny because as a as a person who's worked with a lot of different some people and a lot of different directors and actors, uh, you tend to watch movies that they're in and go, "I know that guy." Um, and my wife will turn to me and go, "Really? I'm trying to watch a movie." <laughs> She gets me that thing about, you know, I don't need to know who you know. And I'm thoroughly engaged in the story and you're screwing it up. It's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, but I know the feeling. Yeah, it's kind of fun to see people, you know, and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. But uh, the best movies, you know, for me are the movies where I don't notice any of that. Um, uh, I always talk about Aliens and Alien being some of my favorite films. Because here are actors, well-known, you know, great actors, who, if, if you know the filmmaking process, you recognize uh, Sigourney Weaver or Veronica Cartwright uh, in the first Alien movie. They're not looking at the monster. You know, they're not looking at the alien. They're looking at a tennis ball on the end of a stick. You know, a director's like, okay, I need you to look right over here. This is your focal point, and this is the scariest thing you ever saw in your life, so Go! And they, as actors, have to find that place in their soul where they're just, oh, shit, you know, this is the worst thing in the world. And uh, that's a ridiculously difficult performance. You know, you're literally acting against a tennis ball. There's no lines. There's nothing scary. They may show you pictures of what the, the alien or the, the bad guy looks like. But for a, lot of point, you know, for a lot of these things, you don't actually see those things. And so the performances are really good. And so... I know, you know, I watched Aliens, you know, through my fingers, you know, and through my knees, scared witless by the movie. And after I was done, I was like, you know, that's that's an awesome film where the special effects and the, all that other stuff are so in the background. You don't notice it. You're just scared or you're just excited or you're just blown away by, you know, what they've done. Um, Jurassic Park's another example where you're just like, how the hell did they bring back dinosaurs? You know, you just... It's you don't you don't question the special effects. You just watch them and enjoy them, and they're part of the story. And and you're lost. And that's that's a great filmmaking and film watching experience. Just to be able to to watch and you know wide eyed and just enjoy the story. Uh, Terminators are the same way. Amazing, unheard of special effects. Didn't notice them until the end. You know, it was like okay, I think I know that guy. You know, but uh, that's that's really the fun of filmmaking is being able to to cart people away, take them away from the regular life that they're watching and give them a story 
and uh, I had some small part in a in a lot of films that I get to look back and go, yeah, you know, those films were enjoyed and people liked those characters. They became iconic, you know, the uh, Freddy Kruegers, the Predators, the uh, things like that. You you get to look at those. And somebody said to me the other day, you're part of the the Predator universe. And that's a really nice thing to say, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I never thought of that. And somebody else had said, well, wait, you were killed by Freddy how many times? And I said, I, I was killed by Freddy three times. They said, isn't that like a world record? I'm like, no, but I, I mean, it may be. Um, I don't know, but I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> that like, sounds awesome. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to look into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, whether it's true or not, I love that you said it. And uh, yeah, now I'm going to run that around. But yeah, you you kind of look at those things and you get, you know, it's uh, it's really it's it's fun to look back on. It's fun to to sort of re-enjoy with uh, folks that uh, and and people aspire to doing these things. And I, I remember one time we were we were doing the movie Hook. And we're up in the rafters of this massive soundstage, and we were uh, supposed to be attacking um, <coughs> Captain Hook's ship. And I look at the other guy sitting aside from me, and I said, I would do this for free. And he's like, me too. This is so much fun. You know, we're swinging on ropes, you know, from 60 feet up, flying in and uh, attacking this uh this you know, pirate ship in full, you know, we've got swords in hand and we're in full costume and the ship is massive and it looks freaking real. It's in water and there's this beautiful set that just everything about it was so detailed and so amazing. And I just think well, I get to do this. I get paid for this. I'm getting paid to would, play pirates. Yeah. I mean, it's everything you wanted to do when you were a 10 year old, but when you were a 10 year old, you had to do it all in your imagination. This was freaking real. And you know, really fun. So, and, were you uh, just like a uh, like a background pirate, essentially? Then in Hook, or yeah, they call you a uh, utility stunt, where you're not a specific character at that point. Um, you're just one of you know maybe ten or eleven people all doing roughly the same thing. I've been a utility zombie as well, <laughs> and uh, uh, so yeah, you you're given a credit in the film, but you're not credited with being a character. Well, and th th that was one of the questions I had, because, like, I'm going through your IMDb, and, uh, yeah, I, I see this a lot, but I've never thought to ask, you know, yeah. if somebody could clear this up for me, you know, the difference between, like, you know, stunts, stunt player, utility stunts, you know, because yeah. it's all very different credits. Yeah. And essentially, like, uh, uh, if you're if you're doubling a particular character... Um, they might just put you in as stunts, and that's all they do. They just put you in the list. Um, sometimes uh, if they go to the trouble, they'll put utility stunts, which means um, like if you're watching a James Bond movie and the car is just racing down the street and people are jumping out of the way, uh, those are, you know, those are stunt people, and they're, you know, nameless. They're not characters, but uh, obviously they got to, you know, you'll, those narrow misses and stuff that you see are incredibly important to the action of the film. Um, you know, if James Bond was just racing down the street and there were no people in the way, he's just driving fast, which is fun and cool. But when you see people just leaping out of the way at the last possible moment, that makes, you know, that's the adrenaline pump that you get mm -hmm. watching that. Um, and so, uh, and then there'll be other times like uh, in Predator 2, um, they were looking for stunt people that could act. So when we did the, the gang scene, in the, in the subway, um, everybody that we, you were seeing for the most part 
uh, that got killed was a stunt person. Um, but they gave us lines and I'd been an actor for a long time. In fact, uh, I got into the movie business to be an actor and they're like, you're way too short. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, there's other short actors out there. And I said, yeah, well, you're not them. And so, uh, you don't look like my... Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, at the time I was a pretty decent looking guy. I, I, I had actually been in, uh, auditions to double, I mean, not to double to, um, to do, you know, like, uh, uh, it was a Happy Days episode, and they said, "Yeah, uh, we want a Scott Bayo lookalike." And so uh, they brought me in, and they said, "No, they won't have you on there." And I said, "Why?" They said, "Oh, you're too good looking. They're, they won't like it. Scott Scott won't have it." <laughs> okay, but uh, but uh, I got in the business to be an actor, and then um, that was just difficult because of my height. And uh, a stunt coordinator, a guy named Tony Caesar, who uh, worked with uh, Wes Craven on. 18 different movies and a bunch of television shows said, Hey, I got this kid that's on the show. He's your height. He's your weight. Um, you look just like him. Would you want to do a stunt? And I was like, sure. I would, you know, what, what are we doing? And uh, it was really simple. I was just literally sitting in a car. I was dead weight more than anything else. I was just a body to be, you know, uh, it had to look real. So they we were in a car doing some stuff. I wasn't driving, but I was just the passenger and they wanted the passenger to look real. So they didn't put a, a, a dummy in there. And then uh, the same coordinator said, you know, there's not a lot of guys your height and weight. You know, you're pretty skinny. And uh, which was true. I was about 125 pounds, five foot six. So I could double kids. And he said, there's not a lot of guys that do this. A lot of the guys are like ex-gymnasts. So they got big, thick arms and you know, chest that looks, you know, you got that whole Dorito, you know, shape to them and they don't make good doubles for kids. And, uh, I had been a skateboarder, martial artist, motorcycle rider, did all that kind of fun, uh, action sport kind of stuff. And he said, well, if you want to do this, there's work out there for you. And they would just call me no auditions, no agents. Somebody calls you up. Hey, Billy, can you work Wednesday? Yeah, I can work Wednesday. Cool. We'll see you then. What am I doing? Oh, you'll find out when you get there. You know, and so you just go out and kind of trust that your athletic abilities are going to take you through the day. Uh, however, that's going to work out. Uh, and it always did, you know, no real big injuries or anything, but uh, it was that kind of thing, just right place, right time and right, um, right physique, I guess, you know, at the time. Uh, there wasn't a lot of guys my height and weight, so there was plenty of work, you know, just do a show like Newsies and it's all kids you know, all uh, young males. And so um, every guy in town under five, seven you know, had work to do because uh, we could, uh, you know, double all those kids. on. The oh, show. yeah. So before we dive into the multiple Elm Streets, um, let's talk Lost Boys. How fun was One that? Of my faves. You know what? <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of times when you make these films, um, you don't see the cool factor, you know, uh, there's was such a, a cool vibe to Lost Boys. Um, it was such a party. I mean, everybody on that show, <clears throat> stunt people, stunt coordinators. Um, it was a just a, a rip. You know, everybody was having a good time. Um, the actors were all cool. The story was very different from most um uh, you know, you never had like teen vampires or, you know, uh, well, and the, the movie reinvented how vampires looked. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and that was really a cool part of it. Um, the, uh, the idea that 
uh, the, the whole you know tagline about uh, party all night, sleep all day, um, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. Um, was very different. The soundtrack was cool. Um, the actors were all cool. Uh, the vampires were uh, you know kind of heartthrobs, you know, instead of being these ghoulish. Uh, gnarly things until, of course, they kind of vamped out on you. And then when they did that, that was cool, too. And uh, and it was funny. You know, there were some really uh, pretty intense scenes when they're ripping people apart, they're ripping apart the surfers. But um, other than that, it was hip. You know, it was fun and, and uh, kind of made you want to be a vampire. You didn't see the downside of it until the very end. Um, and uh, like I said, a real party atmosphere, um, all the stunt guys, um, all the actors, uh, like when uh, up in Santa Car or Santa Clara, which was Santa Carla uh, in the film, um, boy, you know, you'd, do, you'd work all night and, and try to get some sleep during the day because usually after you uh, did your, you know, stuff, hey, you guys want to go and, and hit a club? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and I'm, just, I'm not that much of a party animal, but uh, I'll just say peer pressure, you know, is what it is what it is. And uh, so it was very much uh, a lot of fun people and just a, a, like I said, that kind of hip vibe um, that you don't get on a lot of films, you know, and, and it wasn't so much like about, you know, getting drunk, you know, after work, it was just a party atmosphere. These were fun people, motorcycles and all the other good stuff. Uh, yeah. Just uh, one of those truly um, one of those ones where when people ask about it, I'm like, God, that's right. I got to do that. How lucky am I? <laughs> it's pretty freaking cool, <laughs> you know. You know, and then people ask me that, and they're like, "How did you get so lucky?" I'm like, "I don't know, man. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I feel like I earned it because I worked my ass off, but uh, still, a lot of, lot of fortune, you know, a lot of good luck, a lot of right place, right time. Uh, I doubled the two Corys, uh, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, on that film and, and some other films, and just that whole thing about being the right weight where every other stunt guy was uh, a good 30 pounds heavier, um, people would just, they would look and go, that one. <laughs> it wasn't even like they asked what I could do. They didn't care. You know, we assume you can do the stunts. So you're the right size. Let's rock. And uh, so that was kind of on those, with those guys as well. Um, great, you know, a lot of fun to work with both of them. And at that time they were, you know, the Corys were the heartthrobs. Yeah, huge. I mean, everything. I mean, almost everything they did just, you know, it was another kind of one of those things. Put put the Corys in the film and you know you'll make money worldwide. You know? And so uh, when I started working with uh, Corey Haim, I was like hanging on to that dude with, for, for dear life because it's great when you're a stunt person, you try to follow the, the actor wherever he goes because that keeps you busy. Um, and if you can get that actor to request you, um, you know, they go to the stunt coordinator and the stunt coordinator will often ask the actor, uh, do you have anybody who's doubled you before that you remember? And so you really wanted to make sure that you were um, that person that, you know, that worked with them so that uh, if, the, if the opportunity came up, they would ask for you. And uh, <clears throat> I had just happened to work with the same um, stunt coordinator on two films with those guys. And so he just brought me in because it was, you know, he'd worked with me before he knew me well enough and I made a pretty good double, uh, you know, for either one of them. And so uh, that was just, you know, like I said, that you, you just really make sure you don't kiss up to them, but you know, there were times when you're making a film 
you'll do a stunt and you'll you'll work with the actor and say, okay, here's the position I landed in so that when the camera picks you up, you're going to be, you know, in roughly the same spot. Or the actor would come to me and say, okay, um, I, I got thrown through that window and the guy grabbed me by this and this, and this is how he threw me. And so uh, you would work with him to make sure that you made him look good. You know, you want that actor to feel like, yeah, he's a good double and uh, he uh, he followed my lead in terms of uh, the physical part of this uh, acting part. And with stunts, there is that, you know, um, people think of stunt people as being um, fearless and, and, and you know, Crazy. we'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not that way. In fact, I mentioned this, uh, a professional wrestler I met uh, at a convention a few weeks ago was saying that, you know, our, our two career paths are kind of similar. And she said, I think I could do that because I'm fearless. And I said, you know, fearless is the worst thing. Um, fearless people get hurt because they are fearless and not technical. <laughs> Whereas the best stunt people I know were uh, people who really checked their gear they removed every possible variable that they could, not just because they don't want to get hurt. Of course, none of it, nobody wants to get hurt doing these things, but because you may need to do this stunt several times. You know, if they say, okay, uh, we went, you know, like we did a stunt for uh, License to Drive, where I got uh, a jump out the window of a moving school bus. And uh, it was scary. You know, it was probably one of the few stunts I did where I thought I really could get hurt here. Um, I could get run over. I could, lots of bad things could happen. And we did it. And as I went through the glass, I got a big chunk of uh, glass in my arm and I pulled it out and crazy glued the, the wound back up and I had to do it again, you know, uh, less than an hour later, probably 30 minutes later. And uh, so you have to be able to do that stunt twice. And if you're, if you get hurt the first time you do it because you weren't paying attention or because you were just, you know, cowboying it and thinking you're going to be a badass and just go for it. Uh, you may not get a chance to do that stunt twice if you get hurt in any way. Say you get a cut on your face or something, you know, uh, that's going to prevent you from being a good double for that next shot, you know, um, then you're out of work. Yeah. And somebody else is going to, they're going to call somebody else to do that job. So uh, the best stunt people are the most technical who say, okay, I want to make sure I know everything that's about to happen. And then I just rely on me. You know, I can rely on me. If somebody says, you know, do you have a fear of heights? I'm like, I don't know who's holding me. You know, am I, what am I lashed on to? What are, what, what are my safety uh, uh, concerns? And I, I, I'm fine if it's my hands and it's my safety. And I'm the one in control of that. If I, if I have to do, a, like I had to do a, a thing for Nightmare 6, where I had to jump off a ladder into some broken glass and concrete. And it was real concrete. And uh, I knew it was going to hurt. There was nothing we could do. Kid was wearing a T-shirt and really skinny jeans. So there was no place for pads. So they said, can you do it? And I said, yeah. You know, and I knew it was going to hurt when I did it. But uh, we did it probably six times. You know, and it hurt every time. But it was me. And I knew that there was no way to get around it. We did everything we could to try to make it as safe and pain-free as possible. But, it, you know, sometimes it's like being a football player you expect you're going to get hit, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's part of why you get the big money is because, you know, some of these times you're just like, Oh God, this is going to suck. All right, let's do it. You know? Um, and you do the best you can to stay as healthy as you can and not get beat up. Well, and it's funny because when I took stagecraft, our 
stagecraft teacher gave us very similar advice when it came to uh, working around the power tools. You know, it was, you know, if it's okay to be slightly afraid of the, like slightly afraid of the saw, you know, yeah, you know, respectful of the saw. It's yeah. when you get, when you're no longer afraid of the saw, that's when accidents happen happened because to you're too time. comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's exactly that. And, um, you know, you want to be comfortable with your own abilities. Um, but you know, I, people would say, did you get scared? It's like, yeah, always. Um, and I like that. I want that, uh, that excitement. I want that adrenaline pumping because, um, when the pressure's on, that's when I really feel like I do my best work. Um, if I'm, uh, if I'm not a little bit afraid, it means to me that I probably don't care very much. And that's not a good place to be, <laughs> you know, for me. Um, plus, I think the, the, when your adrenaline's pumping and, and you know, you, you're getting ready for your thing and, you know, they tell you, you, you know, usually five, 10 minutes ahead of time, you know, your stunt's coming up. And so, you know, you do your walkthroughs, you do your rehearsals, and then that adrenaline starts pumping because they're about to say action. And for me, I was like, God, I just can't wait for that word. I love that time because I know I'm going to be on camera now. And um, that adrenaline starts pumping and, and you, you really focus. And focus is a big deal um, because a lot of times when you think about a stunt, it's not just that it has to be done right. It has to be done where it has to, they call it uh, hitting your marks. There's uh, a little piece of tape, you know, bright orange on the ground. And they say, I want you to jump out this window I want you to, you know, land on the ground, but I, I need you to stop right here. You can't go any farther. If you go any farther, you're out of focus. And so doing a dive roll off a ladder seven foot up is a, is a problem <laughs> that you have to solve. But can you also do it where you land and splat right there? Uh, because uh, when you're working with all the cameras, they can only do so much. And so you're focusing not only on safety and, and doing the stunt, but I need to make sure I hit my mark. And um, if I miss my mark, I have to do the stunt again, but I won't get paid for it necessarily. Um, if you do the stunt seven times, they will uh, usually pay you what we call a stunt adjustment. So if you did a stunt and uh, it was pretty, you know, you had to do a car crash. So you do your car crash and they say, hey, we're going to go again. We're going to get some new cars out here. You better hope that that reason that they're going again isn't because you screwed up. That gets very <laughs> and and stunt coordinators are like, uh, you told me you could do this. You know, they're like, no, I got it, I got it. You know, so you don't want to be the guy that did the stunt wrong. And if you did the stunt right and you did it five times, and they said, okay, we're going to give you an adjustment of two hundred dollars per stunt. Um, when you get paid at the end of the day, they base your overtime and everything else based on your daily rate plus all those stunt adjustments. So if you did, if you made a thousand dollars a day, and then they threw a two uh, two thousand dollar adjustment on top of that, um, you just made three thousand bucks for one day's work, and they'll say, oh, and we went into overtime, and overtime is two hundred fifty an hour right now. I'm in. I'm totally in on that. You know, and this is '80s money. Yeah. You know, instead of <laughs> you know, instead of now. So uh, so yeah, you really wanted to make sure you, you if you got stunt adjustments that it wasn't your fault. You could do that. If somebody says I need you to do the stunt eight times, yeah, you're gonna go home and you know you're gonna get your ice packs out and you're gonna 
uh, take some Advil <laughs> and all that, but you're going to have a good But that night, could be a $3,000 you know? ice pack. So <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I told, uh, the story before where I was doing a Elvira mistress of the dark. And there's this thing where I'm climbing up to this window and this, I get scared by Elvira and I drop and a guy's supposed to catch me and he missed. And so I fall. Well, there's a, there's a pit down there, like a high jump pit to fall into, but we put the high jump pit a few feet from the wall because when we expected to fall, we expected to fall backward. Well, he dropped me straight down. So I landed in between the, the wall and the pit and I caught up my rib cage on a windowsill on the way down and it hurt. And my wife was there to see this. I'd never brought her on the set before, but she was there and she's watching and she looks over at me. She's like, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I wasn't fine, but I climbed back up and I said, please don't drop me again. And he said, okay, okay, we'll try again. But it's raining and he's wet. And I, you know, I'm 130 pounds, 125 pounds is still a tough grab, but he thought he could do it. So we climb back up. I get scared and he misses me again and I fall again and I hit my rib cage again on that windowsill. <laughs> and I can feel it's floating now. It's, it had broken loose from the sternum. Um, and it hurt. And I was pretty uncomfortable. And I just said, look, we really, really can't drop me again. And uh, Cassandra Peterson, who played Elvira, said, did he drop you again? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh, oh my gosh, well, we got to fix this. So they, what they ended up doing is they ended up running. Uh, I wore a, a harness and then that harness ran up through my uh, they ran a, like a big steel cable up through my pants, through my shirt, out my sleeve through his sleeve and into a, you know, something in the, on the inside of the house so that I couldn't fall again. So he would make it look like he grabbed me, but he actually, you know, couldn't have dropped me if he wanted to. So all that to say, I get home and I take off my shirt and my wife looks and she sees just, I am black. I am just bruised and just horrible, just bruises and bruises. And uh, what was apparently a broken rib. And she said, this is wrong. You got to tell them. You got to tell them that you got hurt. You got to. I said, "Honey, this is the way it works." I told him, "No, <laughs> that's it. No more. You cannot do this. You got hurt. Those people need to know that you were injured on the set." <laughs> Honey, I made uh, six grand last night. Oh my gosh, we're getting a new couch. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Keep your mouth how, shut. <laughs> how, how quickly that all went away when you realized that yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're furniture shopping. I'm sorry. Did, did, did you get the ice pack on your way? You know, that's fine. Door. We're getting a new couch, but I'm not moving it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you know, you recognize that as a as a stunt performer, um, there are going to be mishaps, but you're for the most part, you know, that's why you're there. Um, if the actor was hurt, um, that's bad because that means they got to hold up shooting, they got to rearrange schedules. Um, when we were doing Newsies, um, the kid that I was doubling, uh, who I also doubled on Nightmare 6, uh, but just before that, um, was doing this big running scene, and he hurt his knee uh, pretty good because uh, we were running in those old leather shoes on, on asphalt, which is really hard on your body. And they had done this scene a number of times, and uh, the uh, uh, director had uh, at the one point had said, um, you know, where's, where's the actor? And they said... Uh, Oh, uh, he hurt his knee. He can't be here. And he looked over and he says, isn't that him right there? And they said, no, that's the stunt double. And he's like, well, get him over here. And he's like, look, if we're just doing the running scenes, I mean, you look really good. You look just like him. Are you cool with doing these scenes? And I'm like, 
course, I, you know, more, camera, more camera time. Gosh, twist me. You know, no, 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 please. You know, so it's great, you know, but uh, that's what happens. I mean, if an actor gets hurt, um, it's a very expensive process. I think somebody said back in the day, um, making a movie costs about 50000 to to $100,000 an hour, all told, with all the different people that are there from, you know, craft services, makeup, lighting people, electricians, actors, etc. So it's a very expensive process to make a movie. And so if, a, if an actor just gets a little tiny cut on his face, or anything really, uh, you know, broken thumb, whatever, unless they can hide that, they have to hold production or rearrange it until that actor's better. And that can be a very long time. And that's a very expensive time. They don't want to tell all the makeup people, oh, just go home. You know, actor got a cut on his forehead and we can't mask it. You know, we can't put makeup on it. We're just going to have to wait. And nobody wants to do that. So it's very, uh, sometimes it's just cheaper to bring a stunt guy in. If something happens, it happens to him. You know, and he goes home and he can put a Band-Aid on. We can't put a Band-Aid on the actor. So uh, that's a, a big portion of why stunt people do what they do. The stunts aren't necessarily something the actors couldn't do, but why risk it? You know, and um, because I doubled uh, a lot of kids or younger actors, they weren't even allowed to do their own stunts um, because there had been a really bad accident in the um, mid-80s on a movie called uh, Twilight Zone. And a child was killed. Uh, the actor was killed to, as well. And they were like, never again. No, there is no reason to put uh, a child or an act or even a, a underage actor in that spot. Just put a stunt guy in. I mean, I remember one of the first jobs I did, I was uh, on the Wonder Years. And I said, what, what are we doing? And they said, oh, the car is going to do a U-turn. And do we burst into flames? <laughs> Why are we didn't? And they said, look, we'd really rather have the actors because they were all kids. We want the actors in school and it's better to have the actors in school than it is to have them in the car if we don't need to. Plus uh, the more time the kids spent in school, um, better it was for the kids. And then um, also uh, kids were only allowed a certain number of hours. And so if they're in school, then it meant that they could do more time uh, filming. And so there were times where I just would do slips and falls, little banana peel kind of falls and little simple stuff. And people go, that's a stunt. Wonder Years has no stunts. Like Star Trek has no stunts. It's like, well, they did for me, you know? Uh, and so uh, it was a very profitable place to be where I didn't necessarily have to do something that I considered, you know, death defying. It was just work, you know, which is, probably the vast majority of what I did. When people say, oh, you're a stuntman, they go, oh my gosh, oh, you're a stuntman. If you say you're an actor, they go, really? What restaurant? You know? So there's, there's like the assumption that as a stuntman that you're a badass. And uh, I wouldn't describe myself that way, but uh, I'll let other people. <laughs> but anybody who else wants to do it, please. Anybody please. else wants to say it, I'll, I'll accept it. So let's jump into your multiple runs on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets were fun. Um, it's funny. That was one of the ones where I was probably most, um, I thought, I want to do, I want to do some movies that, I want to do a movie that means something, you know, I want to do It's a Wonderful Life or I want to do Citizen Kane. I want to do something meaty and badass and crazy that everybody's going to go, oh, that film changed my world. Um, but for the most part, what I did was a lot of Nightmare on Elm Streets. And on each one, I, I had a, an actor that I doubled. And uh, 
you know, you see somebody walking by with a couple of pitchers <laughs> full of not beer, but blood. And you're like, oh, I guess we're not going to be getting the Academy Award for this particular film. And I really kind of looked at them as being uh, uh, stepping stones to, to, to more important films, you know. But uh, looking back on them now, those are the films that everybody enjoys. Those are the films people ask me about. Those are the posters that I sign um, are for those films. And I think that they, many times the reason those films were so important to somebody or they enjoyed them so much was at the time that they saw them. You know, it was like my first horror film and they got me hooked. You know, then Freddy was like my, my spirit animal. You know, I just, I just loved Freddy. And uh, when I would get called for those, um, it's like, which one are we doing now? What number, what do you, what number are we on? Uh, I had asked Wes uh, Craven one time, I said, Jesus, man, when is Freddie going to die? And he said, Freddie's going to die when he stops making money. And <laughs> he wasn't wrong. Um, the final uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was actually another Wes Craven. Um, it was the uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare. And he wanted to undo some of what he considered to be the damage done on Nightmare on Elm Street because there were just so many sequels that after a while, there was just a formula to it. You know, X number of teens uh, get butchered in all sorts of new and interesting ways. You know, and I think Wes was just getting tired of seeing that sequel mania um, turn films into predictable things. And um, for me, uh, you know, they were fun to do. Um, Nightmare 3 is one of my favorites because there was so much practical special effects. Probably the last one where digital didn't really take over. And, you know, you see the girl who's got the, the little mouths on her arm, you know, going because she's, she's a drug addict. Or uh, Nightmare 4, there's a girl who gets turned into a cockroach and put into a, a roach motel. That scene effed me up for good. Um, so I like those ones uh, because they they pushed the line at the time, which has you know been pushed much much farther now. But uh, they knew it was scary, you know. And uh, um, I, I liked doing them; they were fun to do. I liked uh, you know. You, there's a scene uh, where Freddy's a big snake in Nightmare Three, and there's a very funny story with that that. Um, we look at this big Freddy that's supposed to burst through the ground and it's like a snake winding through a house. And when I first saw it, I looked over and we all were kind of looking at it and the giggling started. Somebody's like, what, what's, you know, finally the director hears all the giggling. What is so funny? And somebody says, um, that looks like a big penis. <laughs> and everybody and it did. It just, if you watch nightmare three, you, you're never going to see it any other way. And, uh, at one point, uh, Freddie is eating uh, Patricia Arquette. And the way they did that was it basically they put her inside and then they moved backward so that uh, they could then show it in reverse and it would look like he was chomping. And the giggling starts and it's now it's there's some joke that's getting passed around all throughout the set and the giggling cannot stop. It's like when a teacher or your mom tells you, that's not funny, stop giggling. And you just you got the giggles. You can't get out of it. Everything's funny. And somebody says, well, that's the, the first time I saw a penis eat a girl to get into a movie. <laughs> and at that point, it was all over. And the director's like, you know what? Everybody take five. Get your giggles out. And then, you know, come back ready to work. 
you know, and so that was kind of one of those things where, yeah, you know, they, and they decided they had to kind of smear some green funk on, uh, on the Freddy so that it didn't look quite so much like a big dick, but it did. And when you watch it, you will not be able to unsee it. You'll never, it won't scare you anymore unless you're scared. You're afraid of penises. <laughs> now it's just a green gunky. penis. <laughs> <laughs> now a big, a big funky green uh, pee pee. But yeah, so it's that kind of stuff, you know, where when you, when you made the movie, they're, they're kind of slow. Um, making horror films can be very slow because you're working um, with special effects makeup. Um, you may have special effects uh, knives or whatever. And so um, you, uh, you have to work around those things. You got to make sure they're all safe and all that. And uh, oftentimes special effects are just a very slow process. I mean, when you talk about uh, poor Robert Englund, uh, and I say this meaning, you know, poor him because of uh, spending hours in that makeup chip, just hours. People always ask, what was it like to work with uh, Robert? And I wish I could tell you, um, even though I did three films with him, most of the time he's in a makeup chair, either um, getting ready to do a scene or getting patched up for after finishing a scene because um, so much of those appliances are glued onto his face and it's not comfortable. So he would do his sometimes four hours in the, in the makeup chair. And then they'd say, okay, let's get filming. This guy's not, ha you know, this is very uncomfortable for him. So they really wanted to pound through it. And so they would try to, you know, try to get through the scenes as quickly as possible. And then if any of the makeup had come loose in the last take, well, then they're going to put Robert back in the chair again and they're going to fix it all up and make sure he can come back. And so um, I, I found that from, at least from my, my uh, time with him, I got very little time actually talking to Robert, um, I don't think he'd know me from Adam, um, but uh, that was kind of the, you know, the the difficulty in making those films is when there's a lot of special effects and a lot of special effects makeup, it's a constant uh, touching up. You know, uh, uh, the guy that played the Predator is wearing a 70 pound suit, you know, with all sorts of puppetry and and electronics and, and robe, you know, all sorts of things in it. And you're and you're trying to act, you know with all of this gear and all of these uh, special effects things happening and right off, you know, right off camera is a puppeteer, you know, trying to make, uh, you know, something, you know, like Freddie would tear open his thing and there's these faces and there's these little <laughs> faces talking. Well, those are puppeteers, you know, and he's wearing a suit and that suit's uncomfortable and it's hot and it takes forever to get that shot set up. And then maybe you got to do it eight, 10, 15 times for every, uh, I think every minute of film um, that's almost eight hours of work for one minute that actually gets used. I'm, I'm actually impressed for... that he hung Robert hung through oh. so many of these films. Unbelievable. I mean, and I know that part of it was who else is going to be Freddie. You can try to put somebody else in there and make him Freddie. Really? Um, you, there's just certain characters that uh, only one person can play uh, unless they're going to start over you know, from scratch. I know they did a remake of the original Emory Elm Street and mixed reviews. Um, I heard good things about it. I heard bad things about it, but uh, most people just couldn't get past that. It wasn't Robert Englund, you know, and I've heard uh, Robert Englund had said if they were going to reboot Freddy, which uh, he thought would be a good idea, that Kevin Bacon should play Freddy. Well, and I've said before, I think there's still a way that Robert could play Freddy and, it would open up the world of Nightmare to where they could go places that they've only been able to put on paper, and that's mm -hmm. animated. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. the possibilities at that point are endless, and Robert just has to voice Freddy. Yeah, and, and when you think about him voicing Freddy, I mean, he's he's his voice is so um, <clears throat> uh, affected by um, filters and and sound things that I mean, it's it's not impossible to replicate that voice if he didn't want to be involved. But I, I do think you're right about you know so many um, good uh, projects are being animated now. The Star Wars stuff that they did, the Clone Wars, and all that stuff was good and in fact good enough that when the films are being made they have to uh, recognize that these adventures that people watched on television Took those place. are now part of the yeah well they're yeah and they're part of the star wars canon and you cannot act like those things didn't happen you know so uh i i love that idea animation um, it's not just for kids anymore no and and you know uh and and graphic novels and stuff like that um are amazing and the and they can be grittier and they can take characters in places that um you didn't see them before uh the batman movies were similar to that uh to me it's like whoa 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 that's they're actually killing people you know they're showing some pretty graphic stuff and batman isn't just a do-gooder he's pissed you know he's mad <laughs> he's got a he's got a whole you know, revenge scenario that's going through his mind all day long. And I like that. I like that they took those things someplace. And, uh, uh, you know, Mark Hamill of Star Wars being the Joker in the animated series was amazing. You know, uh, really awesome performances that uh, took characters places, like you said, that they wouldn't ordinarily go because filmmaking can be, uh, you know, uh, slow and tedious where animation, you can do pretty much anything and you don't have to shoot it twice. Um, you know, you can, uh, you can animate it and, and, and especially now with the, uh, addition of so much, um, software being involved in animation, uh, it's, it's fast. I don't want to say it's cheap, but, uh, you can do things you just couldn't do any other way. And the stories are compelling, you know? And since COVID, most voice actors can send it in from the comfort of their own home. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, almost everybody's got a home studio uh, just off camera here. I have a little home studio uh, where I do um, audiobooks for uh, for Audible and and things like that. And uh, I, I wrote a book last year about this time, actually, uh, that came out earlier this year. And uh, they said, you know, oh, can you do the audiobook? I'm like, yeah, home studios aren't as difficult to uh, put together as they used to be. And uh, I know like the Simpsons actors haven't seen each other probably in, in two decades because they don't have to. You know, they can live in Montana, have a little home studio and, you know, send their files in digitally and off you go. So it uh, gives a lot more, lot more interesting uh, work out there with the addition of, um, you know, doing voiceover work and not having to you know, come to some multi-million dollar studio downtown. Well, before you put this to bed, pimp your book. Tell people about your book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the book is called By His Hand. Um, interestingly about that, it was a nightmare that I had, uh, possibly the worst thing I could ever imagine. And I woke up and I, I told my wife a little bit about it. My wife's a psychologist and it freaked her out. She didn't like it. She said, don't, don't tell me anymore. So she doesn't even know the whole story. Um, but I wrote it out. Um, and I sent it to my audiobook publisher and said, what do you think of this idea? He's like, dude, that's freaking scary. That's horrible. Where did that come from? <laughs> I said, that was just this dream. He said, well, you're going to write a book? And I said, oh, I'm, no, I'm not a writer. 
And then uh, he said he would take a swing at it, but he didn't. About two months later, he still hadn't even written a word. He says, you know, I'm going to give this a try. Why not? Let's see what I can do. And I, uh, I finished it up. And it's a very short book. It's uh, what we call a novelette. It's only about a, a little over an hour uh, as an audio book. And uh, I sent it to a friend of mine that uh, teaches um, novel writing uh, at a college here in Los Angeles. And he's like, this is really good. What draft is this? Um, it's my first draft. Like, <laughs> it's the first one. Is, he goes, I really, I really don't enjoy horror, but this, uh, this is a good one. And I said, yeah. And he says, your, your characters are very vivid. Your um, visual style, you know, the way uh, you write is very visceral, meaning you feel it, not as much as read it. And he said, and I stopped reading at one point because it was so sad. I really teared up. I'm like, well, good. That's everything I wanted. And he's like, so I sent him to my publisher and he's like, well, let's publish it. I'm like, really? He said, well, what did you think was going to happen? I said, I thought you'd give me like pages and pages of angry, critical notes and that I'd get really discouraged and <laughs> just give up. And he's like, you didn't want, you didn't, didn't expect to publish this. I said, no. He goes, dude, I got, I'm going to change three commas that are in the wrong places and, and let's, let's launch in February. And I was completely blown away. It was never in my, um, bucket list of things to do in my life that I would write a book. And uh, so it came out, uh, got some really positive reviews. Um, it's on, there's an app called Chilling. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's kind of like Spotify for scary stuff. It's awesome. And they, they put it on there. And in fact, if somebody wants to listen to the book, they can actually listen to it on Chilling for free. It's, uh, they have advertising. There might be a commercial in there, here and there, but it's uh, on demand. Uh, you can watch it you know, whenever you want or listen to it, I should say. And then um, you can, if you have a paid subscription, you can, you know, listen to it without commercials. But uh, after I finished it, my, my um, publisher said, so where's number two? What do you mean number two? And he's like, well, isn't there a follow-up? Like, dude, that story hurt me. That story hurt me to write. Um, it's very personal and very sad. And he's like, I'd really like you to do another one. And I said, it, you can't, can't be done. And he's like, why? And I said, because I, I tied the ends off. You know, I put a cap on the end of that story. There's nothing, there, there's no place to go. And then my best friend called me and said, what if, and he gave me this idea. I'm like, damn it, that's good. That's a good idea. Fine. <laughs> and so I, I just in the last couple of months, I finished that one. So uh, there's a sequel to it called uh, Out of His Mind that will be launched in this coming February. I, I had the story um, uh, from last year end and then this story picks up exactly one year to the day that that story ended so i thought well look can we launch it can we launch the sequel exactly one day he's like yeah yeah we can do that that's a nice little bit of marketing right there so it's a pretty intense story um it's uh for people who know me it's very personal uh a lot of the stuff like this the the character in the um, suffers from arthritis really, really badly. And he's in pain all the time, which is actually true of me. And so uh, for people who know me, they go, dude, that, that really hits hard, you know, and knowing about the people, because these are real people. It's, you know, really my wife. It's really my daughter. It's really some of my friends. And so when these horrible things happen to him, one of my friends called me, he said, am I Emerson? <laughs> yeah. He's like, dude, you did me wrong. God, why me? Why did I get, why did I have to be, you know, suffer that way? I'm like, eh, you know, it's just what happens. Sorry, man. But I, I changed all the names so that they, um, you know, my friends see it and go, I know it was me. 
<laughs> Good on <Thank> you. you. <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, um, and my brother, my first thing, my brother, Ron said, uh, he read it and he said, I, I think you need help, like real, actual therapy. And my wife's a therapist. I said, I got a therapist at home. And he's like, uh, you got some pretty dark stuff going on in your brain. <laughs> yeah. And the thing was, it was fun in its way. Um, I like writing in that you're creating something. It's like writing a song or, or doing something. It's very personal and you're a little nervous about putting it out in front of other people. You know, um, when I first handed it out, I was really nervous that people were going to think, you know, that it was terrible. And um, so with the second book, I actually found some people who really enjoyed the first book and I sent it to them and I said, what do you think? Is this good? And they said, what do you mean? Is this good? Of course it is. And I'm like, no, no, don't say that. Don't say that. I want you to really read it. Be critical. And they said, I like it more because it's more graphic and it's much more twisted and it's very dark. Uh, all the things I liked about the first book, I like about the second book because it kind of ramps it up. And I feel like any good sequel does that. You know, I loved Alien. I loved Aliens just a little bit more because everything I liked about Alien uh, was amplified and multiplied and made bigger and scarier and, and you know, just bigger. And so I thought with the second book, I wanted to do that as well. So, yeah, if, you, uh, if you're into a nice short read or, I mean, it's a dollar if you do uh, Kindle. <laughs> so I tell people, I, I'm not making any money out of this. I just want you to read it and I hope you like it. Um, but if you go on to, um, uh, it's on Amazon, you know, as a Kindle book or an audio book on Audible, or you can actually buy it as a, a print book. Um, I hate to be plugging so much, but I am. Oh, no, no, uh, it's your show. It's, plug, plug away. <laughs> but I, I do think it's, uh, I'm proud of it. I'm probably as proud of this as anything, any kind of work that I've done in that uh, when people have read it and it really, like uh, good friends and, and people that have written to me said, I had to stop at one scene and, and, and I just stopped because it just hurt. It was like, oh my God, that's so horrible. That's so sad. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, I, it really was for me too. I remember when I had to write this one particular scene, um, I was just crying. It was so dreadfully sad. And I was going through and trying to relive that horrible, horrible nightmare that I had over and over. And when I was done, I was tired. I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And people asked me, why is it so short? And I said, you know what? I just didn't, I wanted to cover all the, the good information, you know, all the good stuff, but I didn't want to be there in my head thinking about horrible things happening to people I care about. <laughs> and uh, my wife, uh, just knowing what she knew about it, being a therapist, she said, you don't want to know where this comes from? All this dark, nasty. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> she said, you don't want to die the way your mom died. God, that's so right. And I, and it, it's not that my mother dies in this story, but it's uh, the, the sense of pain and the sense of um, uh, hurting people that you care about um, and not being in control of that is kind of what the book is all about in a very, very twisted sense. <laughs> and so as she told me that, I was like, oh, now I know how everybody's going to die. <laughs> I know how people are going to get hurt. And it's going to be gross. And it's going to be fun. And I think, uh, you know, I tell people if, if this, if you enjoy and enjoy, I always put in quotation marks, if you enjoy scary and you enjoy dark, I think you'll enjoy this. I certainly hope so. Um, I only have had one like low rating. Somebody gave me two stars. I'm like, what? Well, what did you not like? I mean, I'm not offended, but what did what did you expect that you didn't get? I kind of thought I, 
I thought I covered it pretty well. Um, you know, I was a little, little taken away that they didn't put a, you know, if you're going to tell me you don't like it, that's fine. I'm totally into that. But why? Why didn't you like it? <laughs> Maybe I'm taking it too personal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if people get a chance, like I said, for a buck, uh, it's a good read or a good listen. And I hope it scares the living piss out of you. So where can <laughs> listeners keep up to date with you and watch for uh, the sequel to your book? Um, if you go on uh, uh, on Instagram, um, Webs Craven, like Wes Craven, but with a B stuck in the middle there, because I, I was his web developer for a while. And I came up with that name, and I kind of wish I'd just had everybody go to another address that I already had. Uh, William R. Perry Stunts is also one of the things I you could follow me there. Um, or my website, uh, which is WilliamRPerryStunts.com. Um, and I try to keep people, you know, if somebody wants to know, um, I try to keep my Instagram fun. I uh, post dumb stuff, um, <laughs> funny stuff I think is funny. Um, but I try to keep people up to date with, uh, you know, people that uh, want to, come out to the conventions and stuff like that. I tell them where I'm going to be. And uh, if they like the book or, if, you know, I, and you're talking to me when you write, I mean, people are like, Oh, does somebody answer your email? I'm like, yeah, me. Hey. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that, uh, I'm not that big that I have to worry about it, but I do love when people follow uh, because I love to, uh, one of the great things about the book. Um, in fact, there was a, a girl that I met uh, in Australia, a gal named Michelle and uh, I did, she was the first podcast I ever did. And uh, she was the first person to read my book because I really wanted somebody that was a horror fan to read it. And so when I wrote the second book, I said, what'd you think? And she said, I'm a little disappointed. Like, oh, really? Oh my gosh, I'm so bummed. What, what was disappointing? She said, I thought I was going to be in it. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? It hasn't gotten to the publisher yet. So I changed the name of one of the characters to Michelle. And uh, because she's Australian, I even made her have an, English, or an Australian accent. And she was so tickled. <laughs> and I said, well, you know what? Uh, I can do that. I'm the author and hadn't gone out. And it actually made the character a little more interesting. And then at the end, she's after she read this uh, part that she's in, she said, oh, my God, I didn't know you were going to be so awful to my character. <laughs> you asked just, for it. Just no pleasing it. anybody. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it is I, I I do like when somebody who's read the book will write to me and ask questions or tell me what they thought about it, or um or we just talk about it. We just go back and forth. I I I, I have time on my hands, I guess. <laughs> and when somebody wants to talk about the book or they want to talk about a movie, um yeah, that's my world. I love it. Um, I know a lot of uh, stunt guys and and movie folks, you know, uh, are not interested in the convention circuit because they make it, it makes them feel like a has been, but I really don't look at it that way. Um, I love talking to people who want to talk movie stuff. Um, it's, it's, it was everything I wanted to do for my, you know, ever since I was a little kid and I was lucky enough or blessed enough to get the opportunity to do that. Who gets to do the thing that they wanted to do most in life? Right. You know, not every. You know, I mean, when I was in fourth grade, I'm like, I'm going to be in movies and I don't care what happens. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how long, you know, I w I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be in movies. And people would say to you, well, yeah, everybody says that. Yeah, well, everybody else, you know, not everybody else gets to do it. And I remember uh, Lee Waddell, as I mentioned before, is a good friend of mine. He was the original ghost face in screen. And we were working on a film together and uh, we were doing uh, the movie Christine, which is a great movie. Um, and we it was our first movie ever, and we were um, extras. 
And so we're sitting behind this fence and we're looking over and we can see all the actors and we can see all the stunt people. And he says to me, somehow or other, we got to get on the other side of this fence and go see those people. And so 10 years down the line, we're working on a film together, which had never happened before, you know, since then. But this time we're both stunt people. And we look over and there's this fence and there's all the extras sitting on that side of the fence, you know, having their lunches while we're having a catered, you know, fabulous meal. They're eating box lunches. And he looked over at me and I looked over at him. I said, we're on the other side of the fence. I remember that day so vividly. You know, everything in the world was about, I want to be an actor. I need to be over there. I need to be eating a good meal. <laughs> I need to be getting well paid. And I want to be a significant part of the making of this film. And then it happened. You know, that just doesn't, that, that just seems miraculous. You know, uh, everybody has a dream, you know, and a lot of people do them and try and, and, you know, find something else and find something else that's, you know, engaging and that, that's, that means something. Maybe that one thing that they really wanted never happens. Um, and I'm very aware of that, you know, that um, I was given those opportunities and I, I hope I made the best of them. I certainly had the most fun anyone could have. Uh, I certainly remember them very well uh, because I remember thinking this is just not something everybody gets to do. And we're very fortunate to be able to do it. So, so feel free to reach out to me or if you, if you get to see, I uh, come out to a con, I'm doing something uh, next month here in Los Angeles and I've got shows booked um, across the country next year. And uh, it's going to be fun. I really uh, love talking to people about this stuff. Clearly <laughs> um, I should, I should probably shut up and let you talk. <laughs> Hey, I told you this is what I do this for. But listeners, I will put the links for you to follow him in the episode description. And you can follow me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. Or if you just want to follow me, you could follow me on Facebook, X, and YouTube at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. Smash that subscribe button right now, damn it. That's what I'm saying. Bill, this has been a blast. Oh, for me too. You know, thanks for letting me just rattle on. I, I feel like uh, you didn't. Did you speak during this? Did you? Did, uh, some of my. I actually <laughs> like the episodes where I don't talk as much because then I get to look at it at the same perspective that a fan. Well, I do this because I'm a fan, but as like a listener does. And I, I just got to sit back and enjoy. You know, it's. Like I said, this is your time. I'm just here to help uh, make sure that it stays in the right direction. What's funny, I, I do the audio books, and somebody had asked me, do you read the book before you record it? And I don't, and it's for the exact same reason. You said, I want to be, be like the listener. I want to have my performance reflected. If something's shocking in the book that I'm reading, I want to be shocked by it because it's going to change the way I read it. And uh, it's, it's much more fun that way to... Uh, to enjoy the the book the same way, and so yeah, when I when I do podcasts and, and and conventions and stuff like that, I recognize that yeah, these are stories they haven't heard, and um, I really want to give them something to take away, where they just like, oh, that was so cool. He just told me the funniest thing or the weirdest thing or the coolest thing about you know this or that. That's that's what it's all about. Oh, you know, absolutely. And uh, like I said, I'm glad to share those stories and, and uh, give people a little more insight. Sometimes it's, it's good because they feel like, you know, I couldn't have done that. 
I'm glad that I I'm glad that I did try. I don't think I could have put up with all the rejection and all the nonsense that goes along with being in the movie industry. And uh, thanks for telling me because now I'm glad I didn't do it. I'm glad I cho- I'm glad I chose a better path. They're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, anytime anybody says I want to be in movies, I say, really? And they're like, well, you enjoyed it. I'm like, I know, I know, but you know, it's it's um, it's so it's something you have to be so dedicated to. You have to eat, drink, sleep, shit anything only movies matter and that's all you can think about and if there's anything else in the world you want to do do that instead because it's so much easier to be a success at anything else (laughs) i mean anything else it's i mean i was lucky to work you know a couple of times a month i knew guys who worked once a year you know and and you and they were good they were good at what they did and they were talented but there's just only so much work to go around but um, again, I'm very blessed to have had the career that I did and do as much as I did. But I always try to uh, warn people against that. I, I even used to go to my daughter's school and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to be here on career day. And they're, Oh, I want to be a stuntman. I'm like, let me tell you what that's like. And, you know, like, that sounds horrible. I'm like, I know, right? The lifestyle is. is very difficult. <laughs> the lifestyle is difficult. But, uh, but getting once you get in there and you start working, then... And all the fun parts happen, um, but the, to get to that point is dreary, tedious, uh, soul crushing. <laughs> you know, so, if you like soul crushing, try stunts, try movies. <laughs> you know? This is a you know, job really for you. Like, I mean, I, I, there was a, a girl I was uh, working with one time, and her mom said to me, "You know, it would be so great if you could tell her to f- pursue something else." And I said, "Oh, okay." And then I worked with her. I'm like. Sorry, can't do it. She said, why? And I said, she's really good. And she's so dedicated. And her heart's in the right place. She wants to do the work. She's not doing this for fame and fortune and money and all the rest. She really wants to be a great actress, and she is. So, sorry, can't tell her that. She's good. Your mom's like, oh. I said, I know. I feel just as bad as you. <laughs> I, feel, I feel horrible because I know the life that she's put, you know, putting her, she's going to be, you know, chasing is very, very fraught with, you know, rejection and, and, and difficulty. But if this is what, if this is what you do, you know, people talk about, well, you know, all with the strike, you know, all these, you know, pampered actors like, no, you don't understand at all <laughs> what that life is like. Those people have a really, really difficult life and all they want to do is get health care and not be cheated out of their residuals they're doing everything they can do. Be cool. <laughs> Be nice. People are uh, working very, very hard. But uh, like I said, I have no regrets, but uh, I, it would be, I'd be very hard pressed to encourage someone to try for a career in the movie industry. Unless, like I said, it was just the only thing in the world that would make them happy. Yeah. You know, accounting makes you happy. Account. Much more reliable, <laughs> much more, <laughs> yes, much more reliable, uh, 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 you know, revenue stream down the line. Well, and I, and I keep talking. Damn it! You wanted to you wanted to stop. Oh, sure. <laughs> hey, you never know. Um, I like I said, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. And if I get my hands on a couple copies of those books, we can get you back on uh, middle of the year this next year, and we'll uh, do an episode on book one and two before you write book three. <laughs> now there will be no book three. I'm not going this place anymore. I mean, writing is a very um, personal uh, thing for me, and the emotions of those characters are really hit me, you know. And um, it's it, I, I want to write a fun story. I have another idea for a, a very, very non-horror uh, sports story in the uh, 
kind of a fantasy sports uh, thing. And I told people about that. They said, so does somebody get hit with a baseball bat? I'm like, no, it's just a baseball story. There's absolutely no It's base- just about baseball. Jeez. <laughs> There is no bludgeoning at this point. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get desperate, you know, to find a publisher, and I'll, you know, I'll have him go around and whack people instead of you know, hit home runs. <laughs> get desperate. But yeah, no, couldn't have asked for a better episode, and look forward to having you on again. Looking forward to so, reading those books. Great pleasure. Like I said, and they're very they're very short, so they're like it's it's about an hour's read uh, for most folks. Um, I kept them short because I like to just get to it. Um, and I hope that they scare the living crap out of you. I hope you read it and go, dude, that screwed me up. That scene with the, oh, I can't even think about it. That, that's, my, that's like my favorite compliment. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're going to write for that, you know, if you're going to write for people who love a good horror story, you really want to feel like you shocked them. You really, oh, yeah. There's, there's you a scene have to in captivate the obvious. Uh, uh, uh. Captivate the obvious. Captivate the audience. <laughs> there's a there's a scene in book two um, where my wife uh, suffers uh, pretty horribly, and my my friends have said, you know, you know, thinking about uh, uh, you know killing and maiming your wife. Um, we all think about it, Bill, but we don't normally put it down in writing. <laughs> it's like, no, my wife's lovely, and 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 that's the thing. None of the characters in my books. Uh, you know, one of the things I really hate about books sometimes is where the bad guy always gets it. What about when the good guy gets it? So in this book, you have absolutely no idea uh, who's going to be uh, who's going to be ha- uh, in trouble, and it's not the people you think. And um, I think that's one of the things where people go, you know, I love a, a good jaw drop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or a, oh, you know, when people shy away from reading the next line, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Listeners, check out his books. Follow him on his socials. Follow me on social media. Come back tomorrow for another episode of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. And until next time, Horror Hounds, mash on. <laughs>